Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. And now a reading from the Gospel of Mark. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And now, having heard our Gospel text, we take a quiet moment to open ourselves to God, to ourselves, and to each other, and to ask for God's voice to intersect with our lives in a meaningful way. A quiet moment right now. God, help us as we consider this story afresh. Amen. Well, today is the first Sunday of Lent. It's the first of six feast days in an otherwise fasting season. During these precious six days, we come above the Lenten clouds of introspection and fasting, and we let the sun shine and the warm breeze of God's love hit us. Remember, Lent is actually 46 days from Ash Wednesday to Holy Saturday. But because the Sundays are for feasting, Our fast is only 40 days long, thank God. Now during these 40 days of Lent, we learn to say no to certain things. We learn to detach ourselves from them so that we might be opened up to deeper, truer, and greater things. Because of that, each year, this story of Jesus tempted in the desert, it tees off the season of Lent. Because here, he undergoes the most profound of human experiences. Jesus' truest identity, commitments, and values are put to the test. And we're left to see, what does he really believe? Who is he really? Lent is a season to join Jesus on that journey. It's a journey of detachment and testing and of character formation. It's a season where we ask ourselves, what do we really value? What are our lives actually built upon? I admit, It can be a very difficult season because it's a season of self-reflection and sometimes looking at ourselves with honesty is difficult work. This is why I like the contrast of wilderness and water in the story. The story of temptation begins in the wilderness, but the story before it takes place in the water. Jesus experiences there the drenching waters of baptism. The depth of his being is warmed by God's radiant love and pleasure. Now, if you recall, as Jesus emerges from the surface of the water, he has a mystical audiovisual experience of God's voice descending like a dove, saying, you are my beloved in whom I find great pleasure. And it's that voice which becomes the dominant voice of Jesus' life. Now, coming out of the waters of baptism with that voice ringing in his ears, he's driven into the wilderness. 
And so we have this fascinating contrast between water and desert, the voice of God, and the tempting voices of our lives. Tempting voices that call into question our most basic identity as God's beloved. These tempting voices oppose us. They accuse us. And they really do undermine the kind of lives that we rightly dream about. It's to these tempting voices that we now turn. Jesus, in the story, faces these tempting voices in the desert, and he does so as a full-fledged human being. The book of Hebrews says, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. In other words, he's showing us how to live life to the fullest. Jesus is someone who's meant to be imitated. Now, there may be aspects of who Jesus is that we will never be, and there may be things that Jesus did that we will never do, but facing and resisting the tempting voices of our lives is not a unique experience to Jesus. St. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? This story of Jesus in the desert isn't a divine achievement over earthly challenges about which we're simply left to marvel. Marvel we may, but then we're meant to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty following his cues. Jesus didn't resist these voices with a divine cheat sheet in his back pocket. He faced them as a human being, just like you and me, and he showed us what it means to be led by God's Spirit and grounded in God's voice. The book of Hebrews says of Jesus, quote, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was genuinely tested in the desert, just as you and I, year after year, are genuinely tested. Lent helps us walk in Jesus' footsteps. It gives us the opportunity to practice resisting the tempting voices of our lives the same way he did. We learn to go into the desert, so to speak. We learn to fast. We learn to pray. And from that place of intimacy with God that's cultivated there, we learn to face the tempting voices of our lives. See, that's why the mission statement of our church is to help people embody the love of Christ, right? not just learn about it or believe in it. We believe that discipleship to Jesus involves an imitation. We aren't simply beneficiaries of a divine transaction. In fact, salvation is described in the words of St. Paul as something that we work out here with reverence and with trembling. Salvation is something that gets massaged into our lives by the grace and the love of God, moment by moment, decision by decision, as we choose to imitate Jesus rather than the other voices of our lives. So, Jesus is here in the wilderness, and he's facing the common temptations that you and I face every day. Now, that may not seem apparent because, let's be honest, though Mark doesn't go into detail, the other gospel writers do, and the temptations that they describe are pretty larger than life. If we took them literally, they're absolutely irrelevant. Are New Yorkers tempted to turn stone into bread? Of course not. But if they did, I'd venture to say it'd probably be a bagel. Are we tempted to let the angels save us from high and public falls? I mean, people have jumped from the World Trade Tower, but they trusted parachutes, not angels. And it was far from public, more like three in the morning to get away from the police surveillance. So just Google it and then thank me later. Are we tempted to exchange our souls 
in order to rule the world? Now, I admit that one hits a little closer to home in New York, but still, what is going on with these bizarre temptations? Now, I'd like to suggest with many interpreters throughout history that each of these temptations signal illusions to earlier parts of the Jewish story and identity, specifically failures. See the grumbling of the people in the desert, despite the gift of bread miraculously provided should be present in our imaginations. Moses' little mishap of striking a rock and water coming out, or even Israel's continued presumption that God was on their side despite their behavior and their constant flirtation with imperial power. These illusions and more are present in the story. The gospel writers want us to know that where Jesus, that Jesus did succeed where Israel failed. But at their core, these temptations are common to all of us. They're symbolic of the mishaps that every human being faces. Now, let's begin with the tempting voice itself. Mark tells us it's the Satan. The Bible never is very precise about the identity of this figure known as the Satan. The Hebrew word means the accuser, and it's clear in the story of Jesus that he's engaged in an epic battle against a network of opposition with Satan functioning as the critical node. N.T. Wright calls it, quote, the quasi-personal source of evil standing behind both human wickedness and large-scale injustice. Now, we struggle in the modern era for language to talk about this backdrop to evil. We do use language of force, such as economic forces, political forces, even peer pressure, but we're often hesitant to embrace what's seen by many as superstitious language and symbol. This is because there are those on the other side of the spectrum who are devil or demon obsessed, and their behavior can range from deliriously dumb to devastatingly dangerous. As C.S. Lewis points out in the introduction to his famous book, Screwtape Letters, the modern world divides into those who are obsessed with the demonic and those who mock them. Neither option will do, right? There's such a thing as an evil force that seems to take over people, movements, and sometimes even nations. This opposition is present in all of our lives. This accusing voice that undermines any sense of worth, security, or significance that we might have. It's a voice that is very powerful, and it's a voice that drives our creation of and our addiction to false selves. These are simply masks that we wear to protect us from what we fear. Now, I watched the Pixar film Soul with my children recently, and I loved it. I was struck by a moment in the film that represents this struggle. We get an emotional scene that's basically an animated panic attack. One of the characters becomes overwhelmed by a cloud of critical voices. It's this overwhelming cloud which is set into motion by her friend who tells her that an experience she thought was breathtaking and meaningful and revealing of her very purpose, what the film calls a spark. He says it was just ordinary. To use his words, he says, quote, that's just regular old living. Now, at this, she becomes deflated. Her hopes are immediately dashed. And then a cascade of voices come whirling in, joining his critical voice. And they become a suffocating, despairing presence that traps her in a kind of purgatory. She becomes lost. 
It was an emotional scene for me because I know what it feels like to be overwhelmed with and persuaded by critical voices and narratives. Voices that tell me I'm not worthy, that I'm not good enough, that my real thoughts and feelings are not welcome here, the feeling of despair that follows. This story of Jesus in the desert is so powerful because the temptations are real. We're all faced with our mortality. Death is real. We're all faced with threats to our identity, our security, and meaning. Those threats are real. But the critical voice, the accusing voice, wants us to believe that death and the threat of bad things are not just real, but that they're at the core of reality. And so death and fear overwhelm us. They send us on a million paths of coping and defending what Ernest Becker calls immortality projects. These are ways that promise security, but they end up closing us off to each other, to ourselves, and to God. That voice that convinces us that death and fear are the truest things. But the beauty of Jesus' resistance here is it doesn't pretend that death and the threat of bad things isn't real. They are. It doesn't pretend that they don't hurt. They do. In the end, Jesus will be threatened. Jesus will suffer and Jesus will die. The beauty of this story lies in its inability to tap into something deeper, right? something that grounds him in the face of fear and death, something that helps him resist that persuasive, critical voice. And what is that thing? For Jesus, it's the voice of God. Specifically, it's the assuring and grounding voice of love and pleasure that's deeper than fear and pain. Jesus is able to resist the false ways of being human and embrace the vulnerability of the human experience because the divine voice is his center. Lent is a season to remember that the critical voice is not deeper than the voice of love, but we must make time to experience that. Right? Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days immediately after experiencing the divine voice. It was a period of stripping down of truly learning to rely on that voice and to break the backbone of fear. He comes out of the desert, not just believing theoretically that love is stronger and deeper than fear or that life is stronger and deeper than death. No, he knows it now in his experience. One of my children attended an elementary school basketball camp. They were new to the sport, but they were excited to learn until it actually began. The next two hours were a series of demanding stations, teaching new skills, accompanied by yelling coaches. I saw the look of panic on their face and a sense of being lost, which broke my heart as a parent. But I also saw perseverance. They were working hard, listening, showing tremendous perseverance. I was extremely proud. When it was over, we walked home together. I peppered them with questions. How did it go? What did you think? Every question I asked was met with one-word monotone answers. Fine, good. When we arrived to our front door, I looked down and I saw them trembling. I knelt down and I asked them, are you okay? Immediately, they broke into a guttural cry. I placed my hands on their cheeks and I asked them the only question that made sense to me at the time. Should we go and get some milkshakes and french fries? They nodded yes, and so off we went. 
And sitting down over the meal, slowly, they began to open up with the challenges of, or sorry, with the comforts of sugar and salt. But more than that, there was a loving and listening voice. They vented their frustrations. They recounted their moments of panic. At times we laughed and at times we teared up together. I was able to open up about my own moments of panic and confusion and self-doubt, both in sports and in life. And in the end, I assured them how brave they were that day, how proud I was of them, and how much I love them. I remember there being this quiet moment of ease that settled around us. And then the silence was broken. Dad, they said with a quivering voice, I love you so much. It remains one of the most touching moments of my life. My child knew that I loved them before the camp, but they, were experienced, they experienced that love in a fresh way, which broke the backbone of panic when it came to the camp. Sure, it continued to be difficult and demanding, but there was a different countenance on their face for the rest of the camp. They had experientially tapped into a love that was stronger than their fear, and it gave them courage. Now, I wonder during Lent this year, what fear needs to be broken? What threat looms large and needs to be vented in prayer and needs to be relativized by an experience of God's deeper, reassuring love and voice? May God give us grace to know the voice that's deeper than all the critical voices of our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.